Hello, and welcome to Right Wing Dharma Squads. I am your host for this week, Aura, and I'm here with uh, our good friends. I'm Kagyu. Welcome, everyone. Hey, everybody. Storm here. Sorry about that. <laughs> right, off the bat, right off the bat, I had a technical issue, but um, it's now fixed. So uh, thanks for being here, Storm and Kagyu. Our good friend, Dharma Kirti, is not here this week. Um, and uh, he's spending time with family, I believe. And also our friend, Renstam Maharaja, is spending time with family. It's late July. It's summer vacation time. And um, uh, we decided to go ahead and continue having the show during the dog days of summer. Um, but it's a little bit of a relaxed fit as Storm uh, put it earlier to me. Um, and I like that way of looking at it. So we're just going to do what we've done once before, which is have a free form discussion about topics that interest us that are, you know, at least tangentially related to Buddhism and the Dharma, but really whatever's on our minds. And I'd like to remind anybody who's watching on the live stream uh, that they can put questions in the chat and we will check that periodically and read any uh, any questions that are interesting and you know funny or respectful or whatever um, and engage with you guys that way. And while I'm starting off at the beginning here, I want to say what I've said before, which is uh, it meant most of our listeners don't catch us on the live stream. Most of us get it. Most of them get it through our RSS feed. Um, and for those of you who listen on your favorite podcast app or whatever, you know, you can't live chat with us, but you can always reach out to us um, on Twitter. If you're on Twitter, you can get me at Luxury Firearms. And I know that Dharma Kirti is cool with people reaching out to him too. And he's at Real Dharma Kirti. That's D-H-A-R-M-A-K-I-R-T-I. And you can also email me uh, at AuraInspector at gmail.com. So, um, and I'm really open. Yeah, I'm really open. You can just Anything you guys want to talk about on there is fine. It, whether it has to do with the show or whether it's just personal stuff you want to talk about, I just want to say that uh, I'm available for that for any. Listeners. Yeah. Also, um, my my account is private for for various reasons. Um, and uh, if you want to follow me and stuff, just get in touch with Aura or Dharma Kirti or, or somebody else and uh, get them to send me a DM and send me a follow request, and I'll I'll also answer you know whatever questions you guys have or about anything. So I'm also available, just slightly, uh, slightly harder to get. <laughs> right on. Cool. Well, um, I wanted to take a bit of a positive spin with this week's um, episode, which doesn't mean that we can't get critical, because I'm sure we're, I'm sure we have a few things to get critical about here. Uh, but I was just noting uh, that we spent three weeks on. Julius Evola's Doctrine of Awakening, which was awesome. And um, I think we liked it overall. So it's not that it was a hypercritical one, but it was pretty brainy. It was pretty um, highfalutin. And last week we talked about California Dharma. And while some positive notes did pop up here and there, I think we spent most of our time sort of talking a little bit about, you know, uh, why it's so crappy. <laughs> which it is. Yeah. Uh, and so it's not to say that we can't get critical on this episode. I, I do, but I, I, I wanted to just sort of uh, hit up a couple of topics that um, might push us in a sort of positive direction. Um, and I know Storm has a list there. Storm, that first one on there, I think let's save that for a little later. So, okay. 
what's what i already forget what's second on our list uh so we were going to talk about some of the the best positive experiences that we've had during our practice and and coming from our practice yes um since that's one that i came up with um at the risk of talking too much at the beginning of the episode i'll, I'll sort of mention what uh what i mean by that um and we sort of addressed a little a few things tangential to this on our episode about magic um but it's not always like magical experiences or esp type experiences um it can also just be really like uh happy um i don't know happy positive open feelings um, joy joy yeah I, I don't know maybe i'll just cede it to you guys is there anything that comes to your mind when when we talk about that so yeah go ahead Kagi. what with respect to like practices and the impacts yeah, yeah yeah like what's been uh what sticks out for you is like a positive experience that happened during your practice or comes from your practice just anything you know it's actually there's an interesting um one interesting thing i've just noticed over the over you know as a result of the practice um there's like a quote that comes to mind from ernst Jünger's humus uh humusville which i highly recommend anyone read it the greatest freedom i have is living in a world which i ultimately don't take seriously and in his way, it's kind of interesting because it's very good for perspective and realizing how many things, how much time and energy I would spend before that putting into just mundane, absolute bullshit that really was not important at all and should not have been taken seriously. And in a way, I think it's just been great for that kind of cultivation of that perspective and how much less stressful that may and how much more simpler and less stressful things become as a result of that awareness. Yeah, dude, totally. Um, I was going to say something kind of similar, like, um, you know, in the past, having the having the sort of personality quirks and just like nature that I have, I'm a super heady person, like a super um, obsessive, deep thinker, um, much better at tearing things down than I am at, at building things up mentally. Um, and that's some a lot of that has roots in my uh, academic background and philosophy. But, you know, before I got into this practice, I would basically walk around all the time with my mind tangled up in, in uh, painful knots, um, lots of confusion and anguish and rumination. And, you know, as my practice developed and then culminated, now there's like where that used to be, there's a, there's a sense of calmness and openness and space and settledness. And all those questions are gone, you know, they're, and, and they're gone because uh, they don't serve me anymore. There's just, you know, I, I still do a lot of thinking about philosophy and stuff like that, but now it happens in the context that it's supposed to happen, and it doesn't become this grasping for answers and this uh, existential need to figure stuff out. You know, it, it's not uh, it's not pathological anymore. I I know exactly what you mean when you say ex I used to spend so much time wrestling with existential questions, just constantly, well beyond like what I really needed to do. And I think that you know, I can see exactly what you mean, but it got put into the right compartment so it's not dominating everything else. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, that I totally, I, I totally agree with what you guys are saying. And another way to put it, like, because I think sometimes people get a an idea about Buddhism or any sort of like meditation practice that you, 
that the goal is to like become catatonic or something that like you know you cease all thought and then you just sort of like drift away into nothingness but that's that's not it at all it's that you you get this ability uh, i don't always have this ability you know because i my practice isn't perfect but when i am practicing um you you sort of develop this ability to choose what you want to think about and to not get caught up in things that seem like they have to go along with it. So for example, like, you know, we were talking offline storm about some of all the negativity that you can come across on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, you come across it anywhere in life, but we were specifically talking about Twitter and I, you know, I don't follow that many people on Twitter, but I do use it pretty frequently. And I, I do, it is like my main source of news. Like I have no idea what's going on in the world. If I well, don't it's, check not like Twitter. You can, it's not like you can trust news websites anymore. I mean, you basically can't, they're basically unreadably biased and stuff now. So yeah, exactly. There's totally. Um, and certainly, I certainly don't watch television to get the news. I mean, please, you know? <laughs> um, and so, you know, I check Twitter pretty frequently and, um, it's so easy to get like pulled down into all this crap. And, but what I realized is that it's not a choice between either I can follow politics and get dragged down into crap, or I have to remain blissfully unaware. It's that I can choose, I wanna learn this, I wanna engage in this, and this other thing that's tied to it, I'm just gonna choose not to, to acknowledge it or, or to get wrapped up in it. Um, and like I said, you know, I I don't do that with a hundred percent accuracy. Like sometimes I get pulled along and wrapped up anyway, but I catch myself doing it much more than I used to. Um, and you know, we were involved in a little Twitter thread. Uh, I think I don't know if you guys were involved in. I Dharma Kirti and I were. I think you were Storm. I think it was your thread actually, Storm, <laughs> where I, I I started talking about how um, we were talking about epistemology and. Uh, I was just talking about how there are, in the meditation practice, at least for me, in my practice, I can actually physically locate thoughts in my body sometimes. And when you can sort of undo the knot there, and, and it, it can be in very odd places sometimes, um, and you can see how this thought that feels compulsive is tied to a physical sensation and that if you can um, move through that physical sensation and loosen it up a little bit that the thought is not a compulsion anymore um, and I don't know where I stand on the idea that like all thoughts are in the body that seems like an overstatement to me but I know for a fact that many of them are well uh, you know there, I mean, are, there are a lot of people out there who are right today they're having a bad day but if they would like spend 20 minutes stretching, they would not be having a bad day anymore. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's right. I thought you were gonna say 20 minutes doing breathing meditation, which will also be true, but you're right. Yeah, even yeah, just doing some stretching. Yeah. Yeah, I, would, I sorry, go ahead. Um, to, to, to piggyback off you, I would say that like, all right, so as opposed to someone who's, who, who practices, right? And someone who does it, this is how I would describe it, right? So before, it's like um, it's like your thoughts are you're you're bundled up with them, right? Like there's this sense of personal investment, and it's almost like yes. All right, here's here's a metaphor, right? I don't know how well this will work out, but we'll try it. Um, your your thoughts are like a horse running down the road, okay? And you are chained to the horse and being dragged behind it, and wherever that horse goes, you get bumped along, and you go with all the ups and downs, and and 
there's no way to sort of get away from that mode of being, right? So once you start your practice, your practice develops. And then even especially post Satori, it's more like you are now the world in which the horse is running. It's just another aspect of you. It's something that enfolds, uh, unfolds on you the way a painting unfolds on a canvas. So instead of being kind of like wrapped up in it and, and taken along for the ride of every, of every line of thought, now there's this quiescent uh, context of peace and, and lack of confusion and clarity where all these thoughts happen. In. Actually, that's, you know, there's a, there's a passage in the scriptures about that, a similar idea, at least, uh, that uh, imagine like, a, I think it's like a monkey, an elephant, a bird, a <laughs> snake, and dog or something like that. I can't remember what, animal, but a bunch of animals and they're all chained together, like all their chains are knotted up together. And they're just like tugging this way and that, and you know, just all this random stuff is going on. And the practice is likened to taking a post and sinking it 10 feet into the ground and having the chains attached to that. So the 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 animals are still like doing their thing and everything, but there's this steady center point that won't be moved no matter how much they pull this way and that. I like your uh, metaphor though of like moving along with it too. That's a little bit more um free and easy i guess but uh the, the concept is is similar not yeah. getting dragged not getting dragged by these things yeah it's it's like instead of being the thoughts you are now where the thoughts are that's the best way i can describe the like qualitative difference in feeling you don't you don't, you don't feel like this is mine i have like if i stop feeling this way i'm no longer going to be myself right right that's, i think that's what i would have a lot of fear around i think is that if I don't, you know, let's say I have I have my political opinions and I, I came to them slowly over time and through great anguish and a lot of reading and everything, and they're not popular opinions and they've cost me friends and it's not a difficult thing, you know, to be a dissident in today's world or in any world really, but in today's world. And um, I wouldn't want to just say like, to give up my political beliefs because you know i get caught up in them sometimes but the important thing is that i can say these beliefs are true but they're not me and that little bit of space makes all of the difference and and yeah. it becomes much much less painful well i can and most people have a totally unmanaged ego like everybody's got an ego it's just whether or not you're grasping deluded and and um, unable to put it that distance there, right? I mean, the ego, that's how you function in society. It's its like a, it's a tool. You don't want to be controlled by the tool. So like you, your ego can be managed. You know, most people's ego just kind of, it's like a wild animal. In fact, it kind of comes to mind the, uh, the ox, the 10 ox herding pictures. You know, you could look at it that way where, you know, slowly you gain, you gain mastery over this, uh, you know, uncontrolled part of yourself. And then it becomes something that's actually great and uh, that you need and, yeah, this is that crucial little bit of distance. I like the way you put it. It's interesting when you talk about political beliefs, they're not mine. And I think that that's something that, you know, when you really think about it, it makes a certain level of sense. I would argue that, you know, any kind of these sort of right wing beliefs are basically what anyone can approach if they just have the right information. And so therefore, you know, they really aren't. They're something that you just kind of arrive back at just by studying the right pieces of information. And it's, it is important to keep that in mind. People get too invested in politics otherwise. Yeah, it becomes about building an identity instead of, uh, you know, about actually like what, what is correct. It becomes like, this, this is my identity. I'm, 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 which is, 
interestingly, it, it's funny that a bunch of uh, a group of people who wants to be traditional and atavistic and go backwards is now doing something which is really hyper modern, which is building an identity out of a belief, out of a, a political. Yeah. You know? Oh, I mean, it's literally yeah. LARPing. Yeah, yeah. It's much more modern <laughs> than LARPing. Yeah, it's true. You know, I, this is not a new observation, obviously. People say it all the time, but, you know, people get into their political positions like they get into sports teams or something. And, you know, you just cheer for that team no matter who's on the team, you know, the players change and everything, but it's still called the same name of the team. So you keep cheering for the same team. And it literally doesn't matter if these people like are, you know, like committing felony assaults or whatever, you still cheer for them because that's your team, right? Um, and people are obviously that way about politics. I mean, there's, you know, these man on the street uh, interviews where they kind of mock how stupid people are. Um, but it's true, you know, where you can you can list like a tax policy to somebody and say, you know, what do you think of Hillary Clinton's proposal to blah, 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 blah. And, you know, a Clinton voter will say, oh, I'm in favor of it. Uh, but then you could say, what do you think of Donald Trump's position to then blah, 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 the same exact thing? Like, oh, that's horrible. I'm against it. It's like the actual content of the position is doesn't mean anything. You know, it's literally just who said it, then I support it, who said it, and then I don't support it. Um, and I know that's not a new observation, but this it's it's linked to what we're talking about because when you when you when you think that it's you, it's like this is the real me is 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 this person, then you don't have the space to like step back and consider the truth or falsity or or usefulness or goodness of of those beliefs. It's an interesting example of this that came up recently. Uh, you know the whole debacle with like uh, Antifa in Portland. They they beat up a uh, I think they gave him a concussion I'm not sure but they beat up this uh, Asian homosexual journalist and it's just funny to see a bunch of white people okay a bunch of of liberal city dwelling um, ostensibly upper middle class or or middle class white people um, who are oh you know their their whole thing is to be against uh, white supremacy and to uplift people of color and and sexual minorities and their their. <laughs> They were beating up an Asian homosexual man for filming them. <laughs> well, their their position's never internally consistent in any way. I mean, just look at the kind of a, a, apology they'll make for Islam and all of the retrogressive like practices and beliefs that come from that. It's like they can do literally nothing wrong, and they'll continue to support them no matter what. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it, this is my team, and I support my team no matter what. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, because my identity is that I'm anti. And that's actually the problem, I think, with mainstream politics especially, is essentially you've got like urban versus rural culture and the cultural norms have kind of intertwined themselves up with two political parties, which then creates like this self-reinforcing identity that's almost impossible to like extract from that. Well, yeah. I'm sure you I'm sure you guys have had this experience where like, you know, you say something slightly right of center and your interlocutor is like, oh, you know, you should try watching something else than Fox News, you know? And you're like, dude, I haven't fucking watched Fox News like 10 <laughs> minutes in my life. Do you know you what I mean? Stuff, like, yeah. I say Fox I'm News a has zero influence on what I think. Like, but they they can't conceive of somebody disagreeing with them unless that's because a Fox News person, because those are the two teams that have been set up in their head. And, and there's no thinking outside of, you know, that dichotomy. Yep. And what's what's funny is when you'll do stuff like, oh, you know, well, economically, I'm I'm more of a uh, I'm more of a leftist because it seems to me that 
capitalism corrodes tradition almost by default and it's uh, bad for the people. It's, you know, it's bad for the environment. Uh, but then you express other things that are like a socially right wing. You just, they just can't, they can't believe it because in their minds, it's capitalist Republican Christians you know, versus whatever leftist word salad milieu thing they, they think is right. <laughs> and, and it just blows their mind. It was like, Hey, it's like, Hey, you can't pick something other than the two teams. Any yeah. kind of critique of anything, like when you critique Republicans from the right and you're around like MSNBC leftists, they're they're just like, what? Yeah. It just doesn't uh, compute. <laughs> Pinchas Wiesel, I don't know if that's what he intends if he just wants Weasel uh, in the chat says. Pinchas pinch Weasel. <laughs> <laughs> I like Pinchas Wiesel. Uh, says, sympathize deeply here. Used to spend all my time reading and worrying about world events till I slowly realized that I can control what I care about and it doesn't have to be something destructive. That's actually a really good, that's better than I could put it myself, actually. That's exactly what I'm talking about. So, excellent comment. Very good comment, Weasel. Yes. <laughs> um, thank you, Pinch-ass Weasel. Um, <laughs> oh, shit, it's Ashkenazbo. Okay. Oh, oh, sorry, was I not supposed to say that? Um, uh, yeah, so. Oh, well, there he is. Hey, yeah. buddy. <laughs> Welcome. Let's. Let's um, let's let's read off another topic there. What was what else did we have under storm? Uh, one of the other things um, we were going to talk about Christianity in a couple of different aspects. I don't know if you guys want to do that or not, but we can. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I'll set this up. Um, I will first of all say uh, Storm and I talked about this off air. We're obviously not intending to insult anybody. We don't. I don't even think we even have that many Christian listeners, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but obviously, we're not trying to insult anybody. And anybody who's going to get mad at uh, people who aren't Christians discussing Christianity is probably going to get mad no matter what we say. So we're not going to worry about it. And we hope that you can hear from the tone of our voice and the the method of our discussion and everything that this is a respectful discussion. And guess what? If we say stuff that's not proper christian doctrine that's because we're not christians so uh this isn't a christianity podcast nevertheless um this podcast respects christianity in general and uh that's the only uh, thing i wanted to say then we can get into the actual topic now let me i'll also say that um we're uh we're not worshiping demons this is not demon worship in fact there's, <laughs> yeah. there's pretty much no worship going on whatsoever uh there's there's honoring things and there's venerating things and there's appreciating uh, accomplished people and, and profound teachers, but there's not really any worship uh, in the way you worship God, except for maybe outside of, I mean, you guys would know more about that side of it than I would. Uh, but yeah, this is not demon worship. Uh, if you do yoga, that is not worshiping Hindu gods, uh, unless you're doing it on purpose to worship Hindu gods. So you now disclaimer there too, as well, because I, I see way too much of that. Yeah, I, I sometimes question whether they really even mean that. Uh, it's almost like a cheap, cheap shot. And I don't know. I, some of them may believe it, but I think some of them is it's just sort of a way to be like, we're hardcore and you guys are like messing around with demons. That's just the vibe I get, though. I, I suspect don't know. some of it is misunderstanding and some of it is LARPing. My favorite take has got to be one I hear sometimes from strict Thomists where they'll compare like a hesychasm to yoga, which is just. I find absolutely hilarious because they are not really oriented in the same direction at all. But Wait, I, I would think that, that though, why, why did they, what was the, cause they have breathing 
And that's that oh. makes it just like yoga. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Okay. <laughs> well, like the the Hesychast guys, it is it does have quite a bit of like Eastern mysticism flair to it because there's recitation of the Jesus prayer in in basically the same way you would do a mantra, and there's uh, silent contemplative prayer, which is, I mean, it's essentially meditation. I mean, you know, so there are some definite sim similarities there. That's true. But I mean, it, it, from my, from my perspective, it looks comfy. Whereas I guess from their perspective, it looks the same. Therefore it's bad because of course, you know, worshiping demons or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, but I'll also say that St. Tom, uh, Aquinas, he did say, I think near the end of his work, uh, obviously I don't know that much about him or Catholicism in general, uh, but he did say something along the lines of, compared to what I have experienced, all that I have written seems like so much straw. Yeah, he had Which, a mystical experience, and that completely changed his entire outlook of the utility of, of reason in relation to mystical experiences. Yep, yep. So the way I see it... Um, I personally believe that the world and the universe is absolutely teeming with beings of all different kinds of benevolence, malevolence, different levels of power. I think there's angels. I think there are gods and demons. I think there's, I think there's sprites. I think, you know, I think there's just all around this and all throughout history. Um, and the important thing, of course, is as a Buddhist, my practice, those things actually aren't that important because I still just have to sit down and because they're, they're still part of the wheel of of samsara right um but I I don't think that we that there's an either or pro of course Christians do but that's what makes them Christians but I was going to say I don't think there has to be an either or proposition about the holiness and amazing power of Jesus uh and also other people having holiness and amazing power and one way that I have looked at Christ myself, and I've heard other people put this similarly, um, is that I basically think of him as like the Bodhisattva of the West. Um, like maybe maybe the most powerful Bodhisattva of like recorded history. I don't know how you would measure such a thing, but um, that he was, that he is, like you can pray to Christ and get like immeasurable benefits and he will actually guide you. Like you, you know what I mean? Christians who get this experience of like a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't think that they're imagining it. I think they are having a personal relationship with the real, uh, you know, uh, angelic being or holy being. I don't know how to put it. Um, name Jesus Christ. And that like to that, in that respect, their religion is real and everything. And it's only when, you have to divide it into either you follow this guy or you're following the devil, then that's just, that's where I part ways with that because that's, I don't, I don't think that's borne out in human experience or in my experience. So. And there, you know, it's also that not necessarily, I mean, just because something isn't a physical embodied being that you can see uh, just because it's, it's a wispy thing or it's an energetic thing or whatever you want to say, that doesn't necessarily make it evil, you know? And I think the the usual thought is it's either God and the angels, et cetera, or it's a demon. And I don't I think that probably there are there are things that are the equivalent of like a squirrel, except it's just spiritual, uh, energetic being and not a squirrel in your yard. You know what I mean? Like things that are essentially like the flora and fauna of the spiritual like, world. Yeah, like sprites, yeah. like I was saying, you know, like you know. I mean, to be fair, though, I guess that it, there is kind of a limitation to how far they can, like the, the, the orthodox or like just the little o orthodox Christian worldview can go as far as 
recognizing sanctity within other religions just because, I mean, it is so, cons it, the, the metaphysics underlying it, where there is one particular source of goodness, by definition, it means that almost everything outside of that, they have to see as somewhat out, I mean, outside of goodness, right? Well, I don't think they would say that. I'd say that it's outside of salvation because hmm. they, you know, I, I, I've talked to uh, little Orthodox Christians, that's a good way of putting it, uh, who, who emphasize, you know, other teachings where, you know, that God created the world and the world was good. And yes, the world is fallen. And that's why it needs redemption by Jesus. Um, but that all of these like amazing things, which could include even things like Greek gods and stuff are like good in them, good in a certain respect. Um, but that the human soul is not going to be saved from damnation uh, except through Jesus. So the point is, it's, it's not that like, Zeus or or Ares or whatever are bad. Um, they're they're actually really cool and awesome. But you need a you need a superseding level on top of that to to save your soul. That I that, now I don't know how orthodox that particular belief is. It strikes me as sort of unorthodox. But yeah, I'm, I'm fairly sure that's like a uh, very heretical. <laughs> I yeah, know, but right? I I talked to some I don't know some real down home Christian guys who who say you know this is what we say in church, but this is how I. I've come to understand these things. So, and I could, I can really respect that sort of way of looking at things. Yeah. Okay. So we have a, a question from Ashton Oswald in the chat. So he says, is there a teaching about why all beings are tied to some of the samsara cycle? Uh, is it sort of an eternal force or law preceding all sentient creations? So there are a lot of different answers to this and I will give you my answer, um, which is, which is the Zen answer. Um, samsara, and nirvana are the same world. What matters is the state that you're in. So deluded beings are beings that are in samsara. If you're not a deluded being, then you're in nirvana. What do you fellas say to that question? Yeah, the stock answer is it's it's ignorance and it's desire that tend to tie a being to samsara. Yeah, right? ignorance, desire, delusion, etc. Yeah, I wish uh, Dharmakirti would hear. I bet he would be able to point us in direction of some um, some technical terms because, oh boy, I can't remember the two terms in the Vedas. Um, for our listeners, you know, the Vedas uh, are ancient, ancient, ancient texts of, you know, I guess you could call it Hinduism or whatever, but it's, you know, it's Northern Indian spirituality, I guess you could call it. Um, and the they form the backdrop for all later indian philosophy especially ancient indian philosophy such as buddhism so when we talk about the vedas it's we're not talking about buddhism strictly speaking but they're they're very much relevant because a lot of the sanskrit words that get used um by the buddha and and interpreters of the buddha in the indian world they're they're using these philosophical terms that come basically straight from vedic philosophy and then just putting like a, a Buddhist spin on them, if you will. There are, I can't think of them now. If I can think of them later uh, when we're editing this, I will put them in the show notes. There are actually a couple of terms from ancient Indian philosophy that refer to basically like one term means like the clean, unbroken being. Uh, and the other means like the rupture in that clean, unbroken being. So you, like the, the grain of sand in the oyster 
that makes the pearl possible. So it it's sort of addressing the question of um, you know this old philosophical question: uh, why is there anything instead of nothing at all? And there's a whole explanation of this in the Vedas. Why is there something in the world instead of nothing at all? And it's sort of a related question to why is there samsara instead of just uh, all in you know why why is there differentiation between the beings or at least perceived right? Why do we perceive ourselves to be in samsara? Um, it's, instead of it's, it's because of ignorance, delusion, and grasping. I mean, the, right? But but where? But where? Like, where did that start? Right? Like, why is like? Well, where does that come from? Right? Is that the question? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know if that's Ashkenazbel's Oswald's question, but this is my way of attacking that yeah. question. Well, that would be like I, the uh, cosmological, like question, like like that's the cosmological background to why you would ever ask the question, right? Yes, exactly. So, in a certain sense, the question about samsara um go is goes that deep right because um if nirvana like if unbinding if if that is total release um then you know why does there again why wh you sort of like taking on the features of the godhead or something you know like you just totally free and unbound why how did we ever get bound in the first place well yes ignorance but why is there any ignorance why don't we just always throughout all time and space wouldn't didn't we just exist in perfect enlightenment all the time uh i, I have some thoughts on this i, I don't have, have the answer to that but that is that is a, a relevant way of looking at it i think to address that question go ahead well it's like master mazu says you know he said even the ordinary mind that doesn't understand is it so the difference it's less about do i have this consciousness it's more about Am I aware and am I experiencing that I have this consciousness? So the 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 uh, the Godhead consciousness being obscured is superficial and it belongs proper um, to the other side of it. So you know the questions questions about reincarnation and about the the duality of samsara and nirvana. Those questions come from a frame of mind that is deluded, and the reason they come from that frame of mind is because that's the only frame of mind in which you could even ask any question at all, uh, because you need to assume things to ask a question uh, and assuming things automatically uh, puts you as, you know, it's functionally as if you're coming from the, 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 a place of delusion, right? So, you know, there's, there's no beings. Okay. So there's no one to reincarnate. And, and you see what I'm saying? Like when on the, on the enlightened, from the enlightened point of view, none of all this is irrelevant to the situation. Yes. And, I do understand what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. You know, like uh, like I've been reading the fundamental verse of the Middle Way by Nagarjuna again, which is like my favorite book ever. And he t he talks about this quite a bit, and uh, that's probably not something anyone that's listening is going to want to dive into unless you go real slow. Um, but uh, but he has just fascinating ways of of pointing to this. So he talks about like the concept of emptiness, which is is super relevant to both reincarnation and the divide between samsara and nirvana. And and the way he puts it is that emptiness is simply um, the best we can do in terms of a conventional description of our world and the emptiness of emptiness is simply that that's as far as it goes. Maybe that was too much. I don't know, but uh, it, it also kind of answers the question. I don't think it's too much, man. I think we have a pretty erudite listenership. So well, I, well I, good. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I can't tell when I'm, when I'm spurging out like that. Oh, you're always spurging out, dude. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, man, it's excellent stuff. I love I'll it. I'll admit, love emptiness it. of emptiness goes over my head. So if anyone is listening, didn't get that, don't feel bad. Yeah, me too, actually. But shh, don't, don't tell anyone. <laughs> uh, uh, what's, what's next on our list, buddy? Oh, Ashkenazbel says, uh, obviously, I'm coming from an Abrahamic monotheistic perspective, which SK has described as based on myth and story in the sense of begging these sorts of questions. He says, struggling to understand what that means, I think. Well, I mean, essentially what I'm saying here is, you know, anything you say is going to beg a whole bunch more questions than the saying or asking of it um, solves. You know, if I say, if I say like, uh, let's see, let me just say a simple, simple example. Um, is that cat white or black? Now, how many assumptions go into that? A lot. There's a, there's a million of them built into the into the word in, uh, into the word is, into the ideas of what exactly is black and white. Um, you know, you're assuming that 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 cat to be essentially a being with a self-existent essence and all this stuff. So, you know, I, I like to think of logic, philosophical investigation, and language as like it's like a fractional reserve system. You know, when you when you put anything in, there's always going to be more debt in the form of assumptions made and and um, questions begged than you can ever answer. Because when you answer, you're adding more words to it, which is, you know, I'm saying you, you begin from a debt because of the limits of language understanding and the natural limits of human epistemology. It's like you're, you, you're in quicksand and you can't get out of it. If, right. If, but, you're, if you're bent on trying to get the ultimate with language. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And, but, and that's why the teaching of the Buddha is so radical and everything, because he, he says there is actually a way out of that. But it's not through. It's exactly as you say. It's it's not through uh, going further and further into debt epistemologically, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a totally radically different approach, which is why it's so amazing. Yeah. Excellent. Woo. <laughs> um, what's next on our list? Uh, we were going to talk about change and karma and the difference between past karma and ability to change in the present. Okay. Um, I've addressed this before, and I think I'm going to have to address it again later because I think we have to do a whole episode on karma and we, I keep putting it off because it's an intimidating subject. Um, it's a very thorny and, you know, sort of, it, it's a philosophical concept with a very ancient history and it's very central to Buddhism. Um, and it's also highly misunderstood. We're going to need uh, DK for that. Yeah, we totally yeah. need DK for that. Um, yeah. But I think it's it. I like to repeat this a little bit because each time I say it, it comes out a little bit different, and my own understanding goes a little bit deeper. But the real key thing I wanted to talk about is there's a difference between past karma and present karma. And karma, I've said it before, I'll say it again karma does not mean like retribution or like just desserts or anything. Karma literally means action. And what that means is when you have any experience whatsoever, you are actually doing that to yourself. It seems like impossible to do like, what do you mean I get hit by a car? How did I do that to myself, right? But your experience of anything, including getting hit by a car, your experience of your inner thoughts, your experience of your own emotions, your, your angers, your sexual desires, everything is internally created. You are doing it. Um, and you are choosing it. 
in a way that is really hard to see when you're in ignorance. But when you can quiet the mind and look, you can actually see yourself, your intentions, choosing something. You like when you really when I'll stop saying you. When I <laughs> am full of anger, when I'm full of you know, I'm really just uh, bent out of shape over something. I've realized that I am choosing to be bent out of shape because some little part of me wants to, some part of me likes it. Oh, you it know? feels so good. It's so nice. Yeah. But it's even, great. even, but even despair though, even things that feel really awful, like terrible loneliness or despair or anything, there's some little part somewhere inside of you that is choosing that. Um, and so in, in any moment, you have your past karma and your present karma. The past karma is the results of your past actions that are occurring to you now. Um, and it, there's nothing you can do to change that stuff. So like the, the shape of my body right now and the fact that I'm, you know, sitting on my, uh, on my couch and talking to you guys and everything, this is all ready determined. Like it's too late to go back and change those things. However, in this moment, I'm also creating present karma, and that is always under your own control. Um, it doesn't feel like it meant much of the time because we're in ignorance and because we don't pay attention to these processes. Um, but so all that sort of, you know, slightly uh, wordy and and you know philosophical explication is the only reason I go through all that is because if you sit and think about it, especially if you meditate and experience it the upshot of that teaching is this radical freedom. Like you are radically free uh, to change yourself. And I wrote it down in our show notes to talk about it because A, I always like talking about this because it, it makes me feel good. It puts me in a good mood. <laughs> but also because uh, last week we had some, you know, kind words from one of our listeners and it was just, and I don't want to, I don't think, I didn't get the impression he wanted us to like make a big deal out of it or anything. So I, I won't even read it back out, but uh, if a listener's listening, I'm, I'm, he knows who he is. And, um, you know, he, he said something about like, um, you know, getting out of depression and, and going back to meditate and everything. And um, I just want to say for people listening, you know, whatever problems you have, you know, whether it's an addiction or it's um, or it's a, a loneliness or depression or it's anger or whatever it is, um, you don't have to feel that way. Like you, you, you don't have to. In fact, even though it hurts to hear this sometimes, you're doing it on purpose. You're doing it to yourself and you don't have to. It's hard to get out of, I understand. But it's like what Storm talks about Satori, or he just talks about like, you know, Mahakashyapa and the flower. Like when you see, when you get quiet enough and you see the way in which you're sort of doing it to yourself, the reaction is like, incredible lightness and laughter. It's like, oh, <laughs> wow, I don't, you know, like I've been doing that to myself and I don't have to, like, I don't have to Dude, do that. Get Yes. The experiencing Satori, like I said before, it's a lot more like finally getting an inside joke you didn't get than it is like uh, ascending to the Godhead in and having 10,000 orgasms at the same time. It, it's, it's funny. You know, it's, it's, it is like that for some people. Some people do have an experience like that where they like, cry and levitate uh, allegedly and stuff but i laugh my ass off. it's to me to that's the thing it's funny and sometimes they get these little mini you know mini set i don't know if you'd call it satori or whatever you know just little insights right yeah they, um, they pop up all the time the little insights i i when i sometimes i'm sitting down and i'm just sitting there meditating and i will be like huh you know like <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
So anyway, that's what I, that's all I wanted to address with president and past karma. I do want to get into the thorny, you know, nitty gritty of it in the future. Um, but in the meantime, you know, you don't, you don't need that thorny nitty gritty to have this experience. You just got to sit down and look at your own mind quietly. Yeah. The, the way, the simple way to, to get away from your, your present karma, uh, is just to meditate, to be honest, or to just have a, uh, to just let go, you know, if you can't, if, I mean, if you really wanted to, you could just get enlightened right now. Just, just, just solve the great matter right now. Just make contact with the most immediate, the, the quiescent, peaceful Dharmata. See the Tathata right. Just see it right now. Just look. It's right there. There you go. Yeah. I have to say, you know, part of the, my motivation for doing this um, podcast is I get to listen to what a hypocrite I am. I'm like, hey, all you have to do is meditate. And I'm like, man, I haven't meditated today at all. But it's good because <laughs> I talk to you guys and we get our good questions and I do the recording and I catch my, I'm like, oh, is that really true what I'm saying? Uh, and then always after we finish, I, I, we've said this before, but after we finish, I'm like, dang, you know, that was good. Now I'm going to go sit and meditate. So I don't even care if anyone's listening. It's always a good motivator. And of course, it's always you always pick up something else, like especially the ability to reframe things for your Zen is sometimes extremely helpful. Otherwise you just get lost in the weeds and asking the wrong questions. It's definitely the, it's definitely a simplifier. It can be. Yeah. That's the trouble with it too. That can also make it difficult. But one thing I did want to say about, you know, people doing it to themselves when it comes to their suffering, anyone who's listening to this, who still doubts that, just look at how much of leftism revolves around people cultivating their own victim narratives and just reveling in it. You can see it right there and you can, it's undeniable. And so, yeah, I mean, I really, it, it seems to me really clear that that is actually true. Yeah, I, actually, that's a really good point, Kagyu. And, you know, and there's kind of two reactions I have when I see that, when the people wallowing in self self-chosen victim status and one is like oh come off it you phony you know right the, the angry reaction and the other reaction like the compassionate reactions and I'm, I'm like no dude don't you don't have to like you're wasting your life like that don't and that second reaction of course is is much more useful and proper um and and then you can turn around and look at yourself and see the way you know even though i don't give myself that victim political narrative or whatever certainly i do it in other ways you know on a personal yeah. level and um and it's, I think that's really a very astute kind of you. Thank you. No, it's just, it seems like it's a really clear way for a lot of people in our thing to just see that for themselves because it's really obvious there. We've got people in our thing that do that too, you know? Everybody <laughs> does. Yeah, for sure. I'm not yeah. going to get too specific on that point, but. Um... <laughs> no, nah, you know, we can make jokes about doomers and everything. And I, I certainly, under, you know, I don't want to get into that whole thing. But um, there are some people that really play up the part of the doom and gloom. Um, it must be know, honest, it, though. It's super aesthetic. The, the oh, doomer aesthetic is really cool. It is. It <laughs> is. Maybe that's another benefit of meditation, though. I, I can simultaneously agree with the, their most black-pilled observations without becoming existentially depressed like crazy over it. Yeah, and you know, yeah. this brings to mind for me, like there was a time, I forgot what happened. I was in college and something had happened to me. I think it was, um, it. I'm pretty sure it was the that the girl I was dating from back in my high school, uh, we had broken up, right? And I remember I was like, well, I'm going to put on, a, uh, you know, I put on my black shirt and my big jacket and I went down to the quad to just smoke cigarettes. And I remember this is like, a, I had been doing Zen just for a little while at this point in time. And I remember thinking about how cool I probably looked smoking my cigarette <laughs> and my jacket and it was it was actually like a little aha moment because i was like jesus christ like what the fuck is going on here 
<laughs> this is not authentic. I mean, I am actually super sad, but why would I ever think about looking cool in this situation? And that was like a yeah, a big yeah, totally. clue in for me. You to probably all... did. You probably did look pretty cool, but that's I mean, <laughs> not the point. It's an odd thing to be having in your mind during that point, and and I'm you know it's yeah. really like kind of phony and just like gross. Yeah. And so I was like, damn, maybe I really am recreating the universe with every bit of delusion. How much energy and effort people spend impressing people they don't care about with things they don't need. It's, yeah. it's, it's or, 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 or impressing one side of your mind versus the other. Um, you know, uh, 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 Tani Sarabiku has a metaphor he uses all the time, which is the committee in the mind, right? So you've got like the, the anger, the angry guy in the committee and the lustful guy in the committee and the peaceful guy in the committee and everything. And they're all sort of arguing with each other in your head. And, so, you know, sometimes you 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 do stuff to impress like one or the other member of the committee, and then you know, and then you you catch yourself, and you're like, God, this is dumb. <laughs> like, it's like all that. Doing? It's the animals chained together once again. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, Cole Robbie has some questions here. Um, random Q in reincarnation is the same person before and after. If it's not, what transfers, if anything? What hope is there if nothing transfers? Well, I mean, it wouldn't be the same person. That's been. That's, I think, pretty. I mean, it's certainly true in the Tibetan tradition that that whatever is reborn is not the same person as what came before because it doesn't have the same conditions that generated the person who was the original source. I mean, the, the person isn't real, right? Okay, like well, I, this come up before. Like, what is the consciousness of an enlightened being? Like, what is the Buddhist consciousness like? It's completely undiluted. Okay, it's not attached to anything. It's not under any delusions. So, what difference is there between? You know, that's that's uh, th there's no differentiation. That's that's why it said that all things have the Buddha nature. I mean, what What is it that reincarnates? I mean, you can look at everyone else as a simultaneous reincarnation of you right now. I mean, to my understanding, there is like this idea that the storehouse consciousness is what's being transferred between beings. So kind of like the overall um, tally of previous karma that then is inherited by some new being and that there is like a certain continuity that comes from that. But um, that's that's my I, I have a sort of layman's uh, folk understanding about this question. And frankly, I like it. I, I don't I'm not too interested into getting into the having it explained to me, frankly, because uh, the Buddha also sort of elided over this question often. My understanding, you know, I brought up again uh, the idea of skitzes and flows many episodes back of Deleuze and Guattari, the idea of the whirlpool, the eddy in in a stream. So the water comes along through the stream, goes into the whirlpool, and it, from the outside looking into the stream, you can point and say, that is a whirlpool right there. That's a thing that exists, right? But in fact, that's just that's just water in a certain shape. And um, once the water leaves that whirlpool, it's no longer in the whirlpool, right? But it's the same water. So like, our, our, th th then people start asking, well, where did the whirlpool go? Like when the whirlpool re, uh, reincarnates, I should see it further down the stream and, and, you know, as another whirlpool. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not what's, you know, the whirlpool itself never really was a thing. It was just the condition, it was just the result of the conditions of the water and the shape of the riverbed and everything. Um, and so when that quote unquote whirlpool uh, reincarnates, if you will, it's, yes, the energies are still flowing in the same stream of uh karmically determined samsara but you're making a mistake if you're looking for that whirlpool later on in the stream did that make any sense it does i yes. mean it, look beings are empty that they rely for their existence on other things so they're mutually they're mutually everything is mutually arisen okay um 
and there's there's no self essence. There's nothing to reincarnate, right? And and Nagarjuna points this out in the. Uh, I'm, listen to me say this, Mula Mahadimakakakarya, with the fundamental verse of the Middle Way. He points out that we don't draw our divisions around what is a thing or an object. We don't join. We don't uh, think of things where nature puts joints. We do that based on convention and culture and and all kind of other arbitrary stuff. I mean, we look at a table. We see a table. We draw a joint where the table is its own thing and the rest of reality is, is something else, right? We, we draw lines around it. Others, other cultures, let's, I mean, for, let's say there's a culture that doesn't have the concept of a table. They just see like a bunch of wood in a weird shape. And they might see several objects or no objects. You see what I'm saying? That this is the same principle that Aura's talking about when he talks about the whirlpool, right? It's, 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 it's essentially not one thing. There's no self-essence there. Yeah, and I think the follow-up question that always pops into people's minds when you – because that makes sense to me, and I, I hope it makes sense to our listeners. Um, but then the question is like, well, then if I – like, let's say, you know, I, I earn a rebirth of, of terrible suffering or something based on my actions in this life. The question is like, yeah, but I'm not really going to be suffering, right? You know, like, because I'm, I'm not going to be realize that it was me, you know? And I, I don't know the answer to that uh that question but from a very sort of bare bones perspective yeah that's true you're not you know like but that's because also you're not really like you know like that then think a little deeper on that that means that like the i that you think you are right now also doesn't exist and then you're right back in storms uh you know zen awakening right well yeah and then you know if you got amnesia and i punched you in the face it wouldn't really be you getting punched in the face would it Right, right, yeah, yeah. But what? These are interesting. Quite, I, yeah. yeah, that's and a great question. They're great questions, and like uh, you know, we're we're kind of making you know, it's we're not trying to make light of it at all. I mean, these are like really fundamental questions. But the the, you know, it sounds like question dodging a little bit. But the reason that it's dodging is because exactly what Storm said, which is like, it's the concepts that are the problems, not the not the teaching. If that makes any sense. Yeah, well, I mean, we're 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 when we talk about all this, we're talking about it in the realm of convention. So this all got that fundamental defect to it. Um, let's see. By the way, I was thinking about we should re we subtitle this show or rename the show from Right Wing Dharma Squads to Did that make any sense? <laughs> because <laughs> we often anytime when any one of us goes off on a long thing, you know, then we always finish with Did that make any sense? <laughs> also, well, you know, by the way, Storm, I do want you to say your thing, but uh I wanted to explain right wing Dharma squads. I think yeah, most no, people most people listening get it sort of intuitively if you're in a sort of certain circles, right? Um, but I did have somebody ask me who who isn't in these circles, and he's like, "Why? Why did you call that? Call it that? Because he doesn't really look at me as a right wing guy, and frankly, I don't look at myself that way either. That right left uh, thing was we were saying earlier in the same same episode, you know, like it's it's not very useful um, beyond some very vague descriptions. It's, but it's right, why right? right sorry, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna yeah. say right, right wing in the sense of like I'm not lying to myself about things which I find uncomfortable but are also true. Right yeah. wing in the sense that the enlightenment was a mistake. Yeah. There we go. Uh, yeah. There we go. Um, but so, but the whole thing is that there's a meme out there, a joke uh, about right wing death squads, and the reason that's that sounds like a very scary thing, right? But that's that's the meme. That's the joke. It's it's similar to like people uh, who really aren't, you know national socialists or whatever even if they are you know like being like all right i'm a nazi then you know because if everything you know <laughs> if 
80% of America is a Nazi, then okay, I guess I'm a Nazi, you know, and it's the same thing as like, in history books or, or, or like pop culture and something when whenever there's like a communist, uh, like faction, they're referred to as like freedom fighters and like, you know, like uh, the resistance and the rebellion and all these kind of cool things. And then where there's people who are like fighting for their farms and like to keep the ch keep the nuns from getting raped and beheaded. Those those, ones those are, are the, the death squads. Yeah, yeah those, those those get called right wing death squads. Right. Because that's really bad and evil. So it's a joke to say like, oh, we're all right wing death squads. Right. Because we don't think that none should be raped. Um, so <laughs> so when when coming up with the show title, we were just uh, memeing around. I think Dharma Kirti. I don't know who came up with it. I think it was Dharma Kirti. Uh, right wing Dharma squads. Um, seemed like a cute little way to put it. So that's what we're talking about. It's not because we're like quote unquote yeah it's not a political show. anyway i don't have to explain it twice so that's the answer now you may proceed my friend uh cole robbie asks again uh does buddhism teach a kind of cartesian dualism or is it not comparable comparable at all uh there's no dualism there is also not the dualism between dualism and non-dualism it is not both nor is it neither so there <laughs> there you go <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the Buddhism teaches that the uh, that the conventional mind and the material world are both uh, like the, the the separation there isn't relevant uh, because they're both part of the same flow of phenomena. So, uh, like, is the soul different from the body? Like that kind of thing. That's that's not a that's not a relevant question. But would it Buddhism. be right to say it's a form of monism in the same way Vedanta is? Then probably not. I wouldn't. I don't think so, but it seems that that's the natural answer you'd come to. It's much more like um, that than it is like Cartesian dualism. Yeah, yeah, I, that's a fair answer. I think it's it, it's certainly obviously it's closer related to that that Vedantic uh, monism, uh, but of course it it is radically different in different ways, which is why it's not Hinduism, right? Yes. It's, it's it's a different teaching. Right. It's a good question. It's a good question. I think that's a a fair enough answer. Think, think about this, Cole, Robbie. So let's say, let's just hypothetically say that uh, the mind or soul and the body are, are completely separate, right? Well, then you would have, on the one hand, completely disembodied minds and completely lifeless bodies. Because, look, the, the spirit and the body are involved in a relationship, which is causal. We can see this from our observations. So things that happened in my mind or spirit have effects in my body. If I just think about uh, a tiger attacking me, I can have a physical reaction to that in my body. Uh, if my body, if I get my foot cut off, I'm going to have a very disturbing mental or spiritual reaction to that. So we can see that there are causes and effects across these things. Now, this means that they cannot, one, they cannot be totally separate, metaphysically totally separate, um, because if anything is causally related to anything else, it does not have a self-essence. That means it doesn't have a core that is irreducible. So, you know, based on simple observation of, of, of what we see, we know that that can't be the case. At least that you can't make a rational case uh, that succeeds that the mind and the body are completely separate or are dual. Cool. Yes. All right, let's move down our list. Okay, so this is a, um, the two things I have left on our little list. Uh, we were going to talk about an article that was uh, when it made the circles recently about like some large percentage of Catholic priests in the Vatican being gay and uh, the gay, the gay people question, I guess. 
Yeah, I think it wasn't a large percentage. It was more than 50%. That's how large the percentage was, right? Uh, let me look real quick. I'm going to find where I have this saved. Let's see. I didn't read this article, so I don't know what the sourcing is. I haven't article. read it either. That's I'm, I'm looking for it. Just uh, give me. <laughs> I guess I should have already had this pulled up, but where is it at? Yeah, I, now that we're talking about it, I don't know what I have to say about this. Because, um, you know, there's the gay question in general, and then there's like the gay priest question, which is a. I mean, first, I'll say that I think that there's absolutely nothing wrong with celibacy, of course, because, you know, obviously it's a, it's a component of monasticism and it's not intrinsically bad in any way, shape or form. But it does seem that there is this strange kind of, it, it does seem like there's this strange phenomenon that's occurred within Catholicism where there are quite a lot of uh, these, well, homosexual priests. Yeah. I can't seem to find it. I think the person I retweeted it from has deleted that tweet because I see the hole where it would be. Um, either, either way, I guess we can talk about it generally. Um, yeah, I mean, even without the statistics or whatever, I mean, it's very clear, of course, there's a ton of homosexual priests and it's a huge problem. It's not like a fringe phenomenon. Yeah, I, I mean, like, um, first of all, I will say that um, somebody who is kind of like homosexual and can't help it, you know, like this is like, it's almost like, someone who these feelings constantly come up and they're like almost like haunted by it. I feel bad for that person uh, because I think that lifestyle uh, is, is pretty bad that it hurts people. It's associated with lots of bad health outcomes and mm. uh, uh, just a lot of things that, especially from a Buddhist perspective, uh, especially like gay pop culture, which is like hyper um, promiscuous and there are high rates of disease and it's just associated with, uh, a lot of negative things. I feel I feel genuine compassion for you if you got this, and especially if you wish you didn't or you recognize these problems. You know what I'm saying? Well, um, yeah, I feel yeah, but I mean, I, I feel feel worse for the people who who don't recognize it as a problem. Uh, it yeah. just seems like a seems like a wheel of fire, man. It seems like a real, real bad thing that that kind of lifestyle, man. Um, yeah, I mean, it does. It is quite shocking, like some of the negative outcomes that can come from just like the real excesses of that. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's pretty clearly something that is forbidden in the Dharma. Right, which is something that I guess a lot of the California Dharma people don't want to see because, you know. Well, that, that kind of thing is part of what, what has divorced, um, divorced the practice from the tradition that it came from via like mindfulness. You can do all the gay mindfulness you want. Yeah, here's your spirituality, but you can still have your uh, standard fuck party on the side. So can I ask you guys, this is uh, sort of outside the purview of right-wing Dharma squads, but I'm just curious, what is your working hypothesis on why there are gay men? Forget lesbians, because I, I'm sort of of the school that lesbians don't really exist. But why, <laughs> um, why, are, why are there gay people? I mean, like you said from earlier, it's the, uh, some kind of consequence of past negative karma. Now, what exactly kind of past negative karma? I don't really know. But what do you think the mechanism is on a on a uh, on a more mundane level? Well, if you, um, I've read, you know, I can't, I probably couldn't pull this up right now, um, but I do remember reading a couple years ago that let's say there is a woman uh, and she has like three male children. The yeah. the younger the like the 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 more she has with each child she has 
and that's male, the uh, chances of it being homosexual are higher because there's something about the womb that tries yeah. to like fight the testosterone or something like that. Yeah, I, I'm this. probably butchering the science there. Um, no, I, I've heard this too, and I also think it's not all just related to birth order because it can happen at, at other times too. That it's a, a mismatch in the womb between the sex of the ch- of the actual child and the hormone bath that it's getting. I've heard that theory. Yeah, uh, that they get a sort of not necessarily revert. It's not like they get a girl's hormone bath, but they get like a a weird messed up one. Right. And I don't think we should discount like cultural features as well, because yeah. I, I once read a particularly disturbing statistic, like something like n- nearly 10% of Gen Z kids these days are like identify as like transgender or homosexual, which leads me to believe that just like the cultural normative, the, the changing cultural norms towards like encouraging or celebrating this kind of thing probably does encourage people to jump into the whole lifestyle and identify as such. Yeah. Also just people being disordered in general, just being sort of crazy. Um, and I mean that in a, in, in a charitable sense, you know, like just ha- not having any, any connection, you know what I mean? Like just, 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 it's such a bonkers world that we live in. Um, people end up having like bonkers experiences. I, if I may, I'll tell a little anecdote. Um, I used to bartend um, in uh, like a gay area of a major city. Um, and anybody who's been to these areas understands with the exception of maybe like the Castro or something. Most of these quote unquote gay neighborhoods, they're not a hundred percent gay at all. They're like 50% gay maybe or something like that. And you usually have these hipsters around and other kinds of sort of like urban, urban life forms like that. Right. And so I bartended at this bar, which was like, gay friendly right so it wasn't a gay bar but like plenty of the customers were gay and there'd be lesbians in there we'd get like i don't know like 60 percent straight people and like 40 percent gay and everybody was you know it was just open and cool about it and um i didn't i was pretty young and i was very sort of uh left wing like i did i did it just wasn't a big deal to me anyway the reason i'm telling this story is because i used to see behavior and this was a many years ago. Okay, this is before like the woke capital and everything. Because um, I'm, you know, I'm kind of old. So I used to see behavior that I was like, I don't think that guy's really gay, but he's just going along with these people. I remember one guy in particular. He had this. He was overweight, and he had kind of a baby face, and he had a big chubby face. Um, he was a nice guy. Uh, he's probably in his mid twenties, I guess. He was a nice guy. He was a good customer. He was respectful. He tipped. Um, but he was self-identified as gay, and he was sort of had like these overweight fag hags that would hang out with him, and that was sort of his circle of friends. And it was all a bit sad and tawdry. But I noticed that they would give him like hugs, like his fag hag friends. They would give him like hugs and attention and stuff. Um, and when he'd get a little bit drunk, he'd get this, like, he would hug them and he'd get this look on his face, like, you know, almost like he was hugging his mom or something, or like the girl he liked in high school that would never pay attention to him. Like, he he seemed so lost and he really wanted that female love and attention. And the way he could get it was by being this non-threatening gay guy, right? And, and, and then I'd see him, like, get even drunker. Um, and then some like old 
gross queen, you know, one of these predatorial type guys would, you know, pick him up and then they'd leave in it. Like I said, it wasn't a gay bar. So thankfully I didn't have to like see anything or, but you know, I'm not an idiot. I could tell what was going to happen later, you know, and it was just so sad. And I, I didn't really have a space for it in my mind at the time, because I believe the whole doctrine of like, you know, like being gay is like, you know, normal and good or whatever, you know? Um, but it always made me feel really strange. And I, you know, looking back what I, what I honestly think was happening is that he wasn't like gay and this like born that way, you know, uh, you know, out loud and proud kind of like those people always talk about. I think he just sort of ended up that way because he was lonely and he ended up like letting men use his body for their sexual pleasure because like it was the only identity he felt he had open to him. And when I say this story now, it's, it's fucking devastating to think about that. I mean, I, he bears responsibility and don't get me wrong. It's his job to like not do that. It's gross behavior. And you know, it's, he should stop drinking and stop hanging out with these fag hags and going to, you know, however, on another level, like it's, I hope you guys can see like the compassion that I feel because it's like, man, that's so fucked up. Like that's yeah. so fucked up. I mean, it's like, it's like sucks to be you, but like, damn, it sucks to be you. Like, I'm, like you know what I mean? Like not in a, an insulting way. Yeah. And like, I just don't think that that guy's alone. And I think, and like I said, this was many years ago and nowadays, like it's so much more. So it's like a doctrine that you, you know, that you, um, I don't know, man. I, and also it's something that's just like that, but it's, it's almost like, it's like a less sad version of it is that like every, every Gen Z or young millennial art hoe that's white with a white boyfriend is in quotes bisexual. So that that also plays into it because it's just, just like this clout chasing like trendy shit as well. At the like, risk I, of, I'll give you I'll yeah. give you an example, and this 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 is so funny to me. All right, so my wife, uh, you know, went through high school, or whatever, and, and they had a group of friends, and one of the girls she went to high school with was just this totally normal girl. I mean, you know, they were all kind of like singing and into like uh, music and going to shows, like when the uh, when the emo was really big and like uh, scene style death metal were really big. And that's kind of how we met. Um, and so this girl was like just straight kind of normal, a little bit alternative, you know, and then the friend group breaks up when everybody goes to college. And then later we see this girl posting on Facebook about how like, <laughs> about, first of all, she's shaved part of her head and, and now she's, she's been bisexual this whole time and had to endure years of abuse and all this stuff. It's like, it's like, do you realize that there are people following you who know that you're just making that up, that you were just as boy crazy as everybody else when you were a teenage girl, that you did all the, all that stuff. You had boyfriends the whole time. And it's like, and like when her friend group was going through high school, it's not like they were like, you know, super conservative. They were, they were rebellious and liberal too. Just like all the kids in high school were wanting to buck the conservative Christian system, especially around here. You know what I mean? So that kind of thing happens a lot. Well, think about it this way. I mean, it is an easy way to get off from being the um, to get out from being the the object of everyone's derision, which is the heteronormative white male. Yeah, like, just tack yeah. yourself onto that. Now you can join in with the other oppressed peoples of the world and in, in in wallowing in in our woke uh, political struggle. Yeah, you get the clout and you get the show from criticism and for for literally doing nothing but like a hashtag. Yeah, man, it's very dark, and I uh, I won't make another long story out of it. But Storm, your your anecdote made me think of you know I also know a girl, very very pretty girl, um, and uh, you know I lost contact with her for a couple of years. When I met her again, she had like gotten the 
uh, well, I shouldn't give any identifying things, but she had some very distinct tattoos and that were like gay related and everything. And she had become like this lesbian, but she had like become like the militant kind, you know, she wasn't like, I'm best bisexual. She's like, I'm tearing down the patriarchy by only being with women. And I, I talked to her uh, about a year after that one time. And, um, she was uh, she was out smoking a cigarette and I, I went out and had a cigarette I was talking to her and I was like oh you know how's your uh, partner or whatever you know and she was like you ever you ever wish you could just change she said something like that the way she said it was really uh poignant and I again I might be reading too much into it but I, I kind of got this feeling that she had adopted this whole identity and her world revolved around it now and now she felt like she couldn't even get out because these people would like tear her apart, you know, for like betraying the community or something. It's, it's all very dark, man. I, uh, it's ostensibly a community that's about like being who you are and making your own sexual choices. But yeah. when you, when you make the choices they don't like, suddenly it's not so, you know, like they're all for uh, the empowerment of a woman to choose to do whatever she wants, as long as it's not marrying a white guy and having a family and going to church. Yeah. And so I'll bring it. I, you know, I should, we should, I should stop telling stories about, you know, no, but, it's keynotes. It's, it's good radio. Yeah. Thanks, man. I, I, but to bring it back to the, and also one more thing I want to toss in is like, I don't think that the gay gene, uh, not gay gene, but the gay germ theory has necessarily been out, ruled out because Greg Cochran talks about the idea that it, it could actually be a, a, a pathogen. Um, you know, we think we we've discovered everything, but like there's, you know, species of bacteria living in your gut right now that don't even have names yet because there's so yeah. many, you know, <laughs> we live in a time where people, where we think like everybody thinks we figured everything out that also believes we live on a spinning ball and that we're flying around at 10,000 miles an hour right now. So just think about it in that way. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't it wouldn't be an episode of this show if you didn't get that in there so. um yeah so to, let's bring it back to the to the church you know so speaking in very broad terms i think it's fair to assume that if we've always had homosexuality with us in one on one level or another um then we've always had quote unquote gay priests of course we all know that the gay identity as an identity is an is a modern thing you know that's there was no such thing before but um you know, people with homosexual inclinations, I guess you could call them. So there there must have been gay priests in the Middle Ages then too. But what's changed now is that, first of all, if the numbers are to be believed and the stories, like it's a huge portion, maybe even half, you know. And also with the broader, you know, acceptance of homosexuality, celebration of homosexuality and everything, it, the church has never come out and actually said it, but you kind of get this feeling that they think that it's like good in a certain way. Like, I, I really don't know what's going on. It's interesting because, I mean, certainly the father James Martins of the world would probably agree with you on that. And I think that what is interesting is like, you don't see it on Twitter, obviously, where the average person is a convert from Protestantism who exclusively attends a Latin mass somewhere. But it does seem like in the real world, within the normal Novus Ordo parishes, that that kind of attitude is probably closer to the norm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's a really thorny issue. I I, I really don't know. I, I just, it's so funny. I, you can tell from my stories, I used to be very accepting of this thing. But 
you know, the more I've thought about it and looked at it, and also when I think about karma and everything, I think it's so bad. It's so, so dangerous. It's not dangerous. It's so unhealthy. It's so negative, you know, and I just, I wish. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, you don't have to just look too far about just like the, the, I mean, obviously everyone like the, you just look at like the drug abuse and all the nihilistic behaviors that go together with that lifestyle. And you can pretty clearly see it is not good. Have you guys ever read that thread on Sallow Forum about uh, about the birth of the AIDS crisis? No, but it sounds interesting. I'm going to link it in the show notes. It is a long read, and it, it doesn't is... involve uh, that flight attendant Gaetan. Yeah, Gaga, yeah. Who supposedly it... had two thousand sexual partners, and then and thus helped spread AIDS all over the place as he flew across the Atlantic. Yes, yes, it is about him, um, and but it's also about like the. The, when they're trying to like close the bathhouse in San Francisco, like when, in San Francisco in the early eighties, they've re, they didn't know what exactly was causing it, but they knew, they knew where it was happening. Like all the epidemiologists and stuff, they're like, you have to stop this. You've got to close these bathhouses. It's out of control. These people are dying. Like you've got to do so. And these people were not like religious people. These are just like epidemiologists. They're like, this is a huge public health, like, disaster you know like it's happening right now we've got to take action and uh they there's these scenes uh firsthand accounts of like these people like shouting them down and storming the stage like you will not take our bathhouses away like you will not take our butt sex away even as these doctors are like begging with them begging with them please you've got to stop this you've got to it's gonna kill you um and they just they wouldn't listen and it's a really long thread i it's it's dark, dark fucking reading, man. Let me tell you that. But it is fascinating because it's all firsthand accounts. It's not, it's not, it's not something by like some, it's not some diatribe or anything. It's just like, here's what happened. Here's what these people were doing. And here's, you know, it's, yeah, I'll link it. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, there, like I always say, there's a reason why pretty much every traditional religion in the world says, has some level of taboo about that kind of thing. Uh, don't do butt stuff is pretty universal <laughs> across all religions. Yeah. Yes, indeed. All right. Enough butt sex. <laughs> butt <laughs> stuff talk. Uh, we can, now we've addressed that one. We can, we can wait another 15 episodes before we bring up the gay stuff. Again. Yes. Uh, since this isn't tedious, we don't have to talk about gay stuff on every episode. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> or common no. filth, despite my general like of his content. Nah, I like I like all those guys above. It's just, a it's a hard hitting content. Old comic filth, man. It'll those Vine marathons are just like, just it's Oof. like black pilled again. Oof, man. Is he still around? He actually I, just released a new episode. I think last week. Oh, really? Fantastic! I, it was a great surprise. I think he uh, he dug himself into such a dark place doing that that he had to just like take a break for a year and a half. I could I had to stop watching, man, because I was like I can't watch this stuff. It's so fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what we had another topic, didn't we? Oh, I know what we had. The the uh, the the belie believing in belief and and Buddhism as a uh, a way to get into, I guess, spiritual life for people that are, I guess, not inclined to that. Uh, this was Kagi's idea. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> it's actually I came up. I just it's something I realized because I had seen someone asking a question. You know, this was a person who was secular and was asking someone who was Christian, just like you know, I recognize religion is good for society but I cannot bring myself to agree with it propositionally. And so, you know, his, the advice he got was basically just believe. Well, you know, and, and, and from a Christian perspective, that does make sense. Someone, I, I'm trying to remember who mentioned that, 
really the the start of Christianity is believe that these propositional truths, which are are held to be like absolutely true in like a very absolute sense of the word. And you go from there, then you go from there. But with Buddhism, it seems it's almost like a completely different way. Don't you, all you really need is like the confidence that the that the that the practices can lead to some kind of end of suffering, or at least a reduction in suffering. And so what you can say is, don't just start from belief. You can actually, what I would say is if you are interested in religion, but you don't really believe in it yourself, what you should do is start a meditation practice. Find some kind of Buddha center in your area. I mean, Zen or Theravada probably would be a little more accessible because they're less, they don't look quite as religious on the outside. But and then just start, just do it, do it for a month, and see if you see any improvement in your life. That's there's, there's Soto temples everywhere. Yes, and I mean Zen is great just because you know it's practical, and like you said, there's really no doctrine whatsoever. That's right. Yeah. It's it, even within the Tibetan tradition, which is kind of seen as more religious, and I mean it, it is to an extent. The any of the so any of the doctrines are really just sort of like a raft you're using to get across the river in the end of the day. And so you can see them as almost provisional. I mean, this is true with any kind of Buddhism. Buddhism is a raft to get you across the river. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a skillful means that gets you to where you need to get. And so really, the entire approach for whether it's, it's not, I, I guess the, the, the symbol that's always used is it's the finger pointing at the moon, not the moon itself. It gives you the means to get the truth, but it's not absolutely you know self-contained this is true the end these these propositions are absolutely true you must accept them yeah and there's a whole lot of people who just cannot do that and i am one of them i cannot just believe it i can't do it oh same here i i mean like i will tell you you know i can understand your yours you know some people would say you know i can sit in a liturgy but i cannot make myself accept that transubstantiation actually occurs. I'm very sympathetic to that. I am very skeptical in the same way, just like you are. I would say, do Dharma practice. You can you do it, and then you figure out what to think about it. Yeah, that was that was the reason I was able to like go full force into it in the way I wasn't able to do with Christianity because I wasn't required to do that. It was just like you know, it was, it's almost like I hate to say it this way, but it almost has like a scientific quality to it. It's like you're doing an experiment. It's, yeah, it's I, experiential, I, yes. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was. It's interesting because it's like, my, like whenever, like, I was would ask, you know, you can even in the, like the Tibetan tradition, I, you'd ask, say, like, well, did Guru Rinpoche actually was he born from a lotus? Well, you get an answer like, I don't know, I wasn't there. Just yeah. put it aside. It's not important. It's not. Yeah, and like how DK says, like, is Tara real? Tara knows she's not real. <laughs> that was Kagyu who quoted that. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was that was an instruction apparently from a llama to a Western student who asked whether she was real. It's like it doesn't. It's it it's it's only provisionally true in any case. Yeah, we kind of um, you know we can kind of joke about the the you know people are like, oh, you know, Buddhism is just you know it's it's not a religion. It's just a science or something like. But because often they're smuggling in all this other baloney with that with that statement, but the statement in and of itself about, you know, Buddhism is sort of the science of the mind. It's not wrong. Like it, it is meant to be a look and see for yourself kind of thing. And one teacher I, uh, 
was reading once said that all that you need, the only beliefs that you need in order to start are that the teachings of the that we have of the Buddha are at least mostly accurate. Do you know what I mean? That like the yes. sutras say what they say. You have to that, have confidence that this path will work to relieve your suffering on some level. Or or even yeah, then, the way like, uh, like, Yeah, but let me finish. He, he was she was saying just like you have to sort of you have to take it on faith that like this guy really lived and taught, which we have all these records, of course he did. You know, like that's not under question, right? Uh that he intended well and that uh, you know like that they're they're intended to be beneficial and that you uh are capable of investigating them. That's it. Like that that's like his whole point is like those things are not <laughs> they're not it's not asking a lot to believe those things. Yeah. And his point was like that's it. You can stop with your beliefs right there. You just believe like those three things that like they're they're intended to be good. They actually existed or exist now, which obviously they do, and that you can try them. And then from there you can just, you know, do do the rest by your own experience. It also helps a lot if you there's a lot of living examples of the teaching working very well. Literal enlightened masters all over the world in, in all kinds of different schools. So you can actually see what it's like to be a person who's who's put so much time into this. Yeah. When you're around like a really spiritually accomplished people, and you know, I've met some, it it uh, you can absolutely tell. It, it's like they have like they have an aura. For real, man. No, just being around like certain kind. Yes, I know exactly what you mean. Like being around certain llamas, you just get this kind of feeling of being in their presence, just like which is really. I mean, you can't put it into words. It's just this kind of presence or an aura. And yeah, and you pick up on it more the more you go into your practice. You know, yeah. what it's it's yeah. And I mean, the other thing I've noticed is the more you do the practice, the more, I mean, it's almost like it can, has this potential to re-enchant your world. Like ideas that you would just kind of put aside, like say rebirth or, um, you know, certain kind, like the existence of like, you know, the higher and lower realms. It, 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 after a while, you kind of see the propositions make sense in a way that almost just goes beyond words. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting that. Well, guys, should we wrap things up? Yeah, I think we've had a solid episode. Yeah, excellent. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Next week, we will be back, uh, I think, <laughs> yes. for sure. Yeah, uh, we're not. the point is we're not taking a break or anything. Um, we'll be back to our regularly scheduled live streams and um, uh, ordered shows and stuff in a couple of weeks. Um, but next week, we'll have another episode for you guys. Uh, you should, those of you who uh, look for the link on Twitter, you can look under my account instead of Dharma Kirti's just for this week and next week. Um, and until then, I want to thank you for listening. Do you guys have anything to add? I have a little closing. Go on. Please. <clears throat> this is from uh, the record of Joshu. A monk asked Joshu, what about it when I seek the Buddha? The master said, what a tremendous waste of energy. The monk said further, what about it when I'm not wasting any energy? The master said, in that case, you are Buddha. This has been Right Wing Dharma Squads. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Bye.